We are entering a period of, of thanksgiving and giving. We have many opportunities over the next couple of months to be doing both of those things, giving uh, to many different, in di many different ways, as well as thanksgiving for what a great God we have. But I'd encourage you to do one thing before you enter into that period, and that is vote on Tuesday. If you haven't voted yet, I encourage you as a Christian to vote. Um, and I think we need to be in prayer. Uh, it's interesting, um, you know, in the Romans 13 passage, and this is, I, this is when Nero was the, uh, the emperor, and the Apostle Paul writes, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. That is many times something we can only do in the Holy Spirit's strength. It causes us to rely upon Him. But it's very clear what our responsibility is. We are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. The reason why? For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. We in the United States have the opportunity to vote for people that we want to have certain positions, and I think we really need to know the individual as well as the, the policies that that person stands for, but we, we do need to vote. And I pray that we will all do our uh, exercise, our, the privilege we have here in the United States, and I would look at it as a responsibility. The other thing the Bible says we're to do is pray for those who are in authority. So, Lord, as we uh, enter into this... Uh, season of thanksgiving and giving as a country. Uh, I pray that we've been doing that, we as Christians have been doing that all year long, but may we join others as they uh, begin to do it during these two months, and may there be uh, real love associated with our actions. Um, May there be uh, real generosity as we consider where and how much, how much you want us to give. Um, may there be real joy as we uh, uh, get to be involved in other people's lives, whether they are locally here or whether they are around the world. But thank you for the privilege of being involved in sharing the good news of Jesus um, in our community, in our country, in our world. And so uh, thanks for being with us during this time. I pray that we, we I pray that we as Christians would would vote, but I also pray that we would accept who who uh, you you place in authority and um, thanks for making it so clear. We're to be subject to those individuals as in the, those offices and we are to be uh, um, we are to pray for those in in this these people. I I keep thinking of the statement that uh, Jesus said to Pilate. Pilate says, don't you know that I have, I have authority to set you free and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus replied, you would have no authority 
unless it had been given you from above. And so may we understand that, that you are at work, even using uh, secular authorities to uh, accomplish your purpose and to show us our need to, um, to come to your son Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because our hope is not in government or people in government. Our hope is in you alone. So uh, thanks that we can pray. I pray that as we look at this passage today that once again we would realize that even though we may be religious, if we, do, if we haven't by faith come to know Jesus as Lord, we are not right or just in your sight. And so may we get this message. Thanks for drumming it into our, our, our minds and hearts. And we pray these things in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We're going to go clear from chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 8 today. So we'll be moving right along. But if, if you are a religious person, and you stood before God this afternoon, and he would have asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? If you are a religious person, and you stood before God today, and he would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? Well, I go to church occasionally. I was baptized when I was an infant. I was, I went through confirmation classes. I, um, I was raised in a Christian family. My mom and dad were Christians. I go to Sierra Lutheran High School. I give to charity. How would you answer that question? You see, what charges could God possibly bring against a religious person? People who do go to church on a regular basis. If you remember chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, it says everybody is guilty of suppressing God's known truth. They may not know much about God, but what they know, they have suppressed. It means you kind of put that in your own little box and you sit on the top of it so that you're in control. They have suppressed God's known truth. And it says, because people have suppressed God's known truth, the first thing that occurs is idolatry is practiced. And people continue being religious, but they exchange the glory, the, the essence of who God is, for a, a, you know, the glory of an incorruptible, you know, the, in the form of a corruptible man or beast or animal. Or they, they replace the... God that they know some truth about with, with a, a counterfeit. And it says everybody is guilty of that. 
And one of the ways that suppression of God's known truth is, is revealed is idolatry. Still religious, but they're not right or just with God. The third case that we're looking at here, we've had God versus the outright rotten sinner. We've had the case of God versus the moral person. Today is the case of God versus the religious person. And, and of all examples, he uses the Jews. The Jews prided themselves in their ancestry. They prided themselves in their possession of God's written law. They prided themselves in the practice of circumcision. And the Apostle Paul, the prosecuting attorney, responds, the name of God is blasphemed because of you. I'd just like to read through these verses. We're going to start with 2.17 and read clear up through 3.8 because it's... it's I was just reading this slow yesterday, and I just thought that this passage just kind of makes it, you know, you just look at it, uh, and it makes itself pretty clear in terms of what he's, the point, points he's making. So verse 17 of chapter 2, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not, shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, that's simply the non-Jewish people, anybody who can't trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision of value, if you practice the law, but if you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who though, who though having the, the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. 
Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness or injustice demonstrates the righteousness or justice of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we slanderously reported, and if some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come, their condemnation is just. Next week we'll start with verse 9. What then are we Jews? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, you see the privileges the Jews enjoyed. The word Jew comes from the tribe of Judah. That's where the, that title comes from. They were from the tribe of Judah, you Jews. God had graciously given them his word in written form. God had chosen them to be his people. It's like they're saying, we have this unique relationship with God. We're instructed out of God's written word, knowing the essentials. And it's, it's a great advantage that these people enjoyed. It was a, a great privilege that God had given to them. And there's nothing wrong with any of these advantages unless they start depending on this. Oh, hey, we possess the law. I've got a Bible in my house. There's nothing wrong with these advantages except depending on those for getting right or just with God or feeling superior because I'm better than you. You don't have a Bible in your house. In verses 19 and 20, we have the responsibilities of the Jews and what they did. They, they, they saw them, so they understood what they were to be. They were to be guides to the blind, and they were to be lights to those in darkness, and they were to be correctors of the senseless, and they were to be instructors of infants. They had in God's law the framework of knowledge and truth. And they said, hey, we've got all these advantages and we understand what we're, you know, what, what, what we're all about. And they would say, not guilty, your honor. They didn't recognize it was by the grace of God that they had been given what they had. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You get over into chapter 9 of Romans. We'll get there some year. Uh, we will. Um, but the, 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 the God is telling them, you know, you Jews, and saying that the Gentiles, by the grace of God, had been able to, you know, come to know him. And they were saying, yeah, they needed grace. And God says, you need it too, you Jews. It's only by grace that you're right in my sight. By the grace of God, they'd have been given what they had been given, these many advantages, the understanding of even what they were to do. 
And then in verses 21 and 22, Paul goes before the judge and he presents his evidence. And he he says, what have you done with what you've received? It's so easy to apply God's standards to others without applying them to ourselves. They had gone from being hearers to being even teachers, but they had never been learners. Jews had a reputation as thieves in money lending, extorting money from the helpless. He talks about adultery there and Think mentally, how's your purity? The Jews didn't mind handling merchandise that came from the heathen temples and selling that merchandise for a profit. Yeah, they hated idolatry, but they still made money by it. And in 23 and 24, you're, you're, you're proud of your religious practices and advantages. That's what you base everything in. You you base your standing with God upon the the advantages that God has given you and your, your practices. But he says, through your breaking God's law, the theft and adultery and and greed, you, you dishonor God. You're just you're hiding behind the mask of privilege and privilege and advantages. You're breaking the very law of which you boast. And God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's like God saying, you're the cause. Your thinking and your choices and your actions and your words are to be a reflection that you belong to me, but nobody would ever guess. Charges, and this is what's on the handout if you're looking at the handout. Disobedience to revealed truth. Guilty of the same thing that the people back in chapter 1 were guilty of, suppressing God's truth. They were disobedient to revealed truth. And there was no correlation between possession and practice. There was no correlation between information and application. These people had the right possessions. God had graciously given them these things. He had given them right information, but they they didn't practice it and they didn't apply it to their own lives. And it's what what we see throughout this passage is that privilege increases responsibility. And in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, God chose, you know, God chose the, the people of Israel to be a light to all the nations. That was their purpose. He picked the one out of however many there were. He picked this one, one group of people and he's going to work with them. And, and he would, you know, it would be a personal relationship that they'd have with God and they would, were to be examples to the Gentiles. So, man, I want your God, you Israelites. I want the same relationship with God that you guys have. 
They weren't a light to the nations. The non-Jews noticed the discrepancy and he says, look at your destructive impact. And so they, basically he brings in something that they would always use. Don't religious practices count for anything? What about circumcision? We could actually, if we were reading this maybe today and it was addressed to us as a religious group, we could maybe insert the word baptism. Hey, I was baptized when I was a child. Uh, we maybe could put religious instead of Jew. But for these Jews, they understood what the Apostle Paul was saying. Circumcision is the cutting of the loose skin around the male penis. For the male Jews, circumcision, this is so important to understand. This was a, <laughs> so important. Circumcision was, a, was to be a symbol of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and his descendants. For the men, it was a daily reminder of the closeness of the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. But instead, all they did was, well, I was circumcised on the eighth day just like God told me to do. Isn't this of great value? Look, 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 I, I was circumcised. It doesn't matter what my life's like today. Look, I was circumcised back there on the eighth day. Of course, I don't remember anything about it, but my parents tell me that that's what took place. Well, I was baptized when I was an infant. Isn't this of great value? And God's answer is no. That religious practices mean something only if God has first changed one inwardly. And so we're seeing here that a religious lawbreaker stands, you know, that person too has suppressed God's truth. They stand before God in the same place as the, as the outright rotten sinner in chapter 1 and the mortal person of chapter 2. And he goes on to explain the non-Jew, if he keeps the law, if, and that's a big if there, not only will he be regarded as circumcised, but he'll also end up judging the Jew. And he explains in, in, the, you know, in the, the last two verses of this chapter what a true Jew is. One is not a true Jew who can trace his lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nor is one a true Jew who, who is, you know, who's placing their dependence upon religion or national identity or race or circumcision or baptism or church membership or being raised in a Christian family or what school you go to. The true Jew is the one who believes in Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord. The true Jew is one who reveals an inward change of heart by the Spirit. The work of Jesus on the cross accomplished 
this change of heart, that when you become a Christian, one of the elements, one of the first things that takes place when you become a Christian by faith in Jesus is that your heart is changed. There's a heart transplant. You're given a new heart. And what I put on your handout is if we are not first changed inwardly, Religious practices end up making us dishonor God and an object of ridicule among unbelievers. Well, well, don't God's, you know, don't God's chosen people, the Jews, have any advantages? And Paul nods his head and says, yes, they do. This imaginary dialogue is going on between Paul and the, the Jewish people. Don't, don't my advantages and practices count for anything? Isn't there something distinctive about being a Jew? And we're going to see in chapters 9, 10, and 11... Yes, there is something distinctive about being a Jew. It's great in every respect, the advantages you have. But chiefly, you were entrusted with the very words of God. God God wrote out his word for you, you Jewish people, and he gave it to you. You possess it. And they were to learn it. And they were to believe it. And they were to obey it. And they were to pass it on. And instead they isolated themselves thinking they were better because they possessed God's written words. And then you have a second objection. Well, God promised Abraham that his seed would be blessed. Doesn't that mean all Jews will be blessed? If some don't believe, their unbelief won't make, you know, make any, will not make ineffective the, the faithfulness of God, will it? And Paul answers that by, by the statement, may it never be that God's going to be true, even if every person has proved a liar. The truth is always truth, even if no one believes it. God keeps his word no matter how people fail. God is always true, period, case closed. In Psalm 51, verse 4, God, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. In 5 and 6, and you hear this today, even, even among Christians, But if sin gives God, God, if my sin gives you opportunities to display your grace and your justice, how can you condemn me? <laughs> Paul says I'm presenting this from a human standpoint. Isn't God unfair by pouring out his wrath on us? And Paul says not at all. If you, if you use this argument, no one would ever be able to be judged and God would be removed as the judge of all the earth. 
There's never an excuse for not trusting him or for not obeying his commands. And finally, the, the final objection there, if my sin advances your glory, why are you on my case? And why not say that the end justifies the means? Let us do evil that good may come. And again, the logical conclusion to such thinking, God would have to abandon all judgment. No one could ever be accountable for any of his or her thoughts, choices, actions, words. And this, this thinking is so void of true logic that Paul says their condemnation is just. And so if you'd look at at the conclusion with me, it's on your handout, it's on the back-to-back one, it's on the bulletin. Charges, counting on religious rituals, outward practices without an inward heart change. You've lost the meaning, you people, of what it means to be a Jew. You're misusing the advantages, the many advantages God has given you, verdict, guilty, mere profession or possession don't make it with God, neither do outward rituals. I put here, by faith, knowing Jesus as Lord and Messiah is what makes one a Christian right or just in God's sight. It's not a question of whether somebody's been baptized or circumcised or confirmed or is a church member. You fill in the blank there. What school you go to, kind of a family you were raised in. But the Christian is one who by faith has received the one who satisfied God's justice. His name is Jesus. Because of who Jesus was and what he did on the cross, he satisfied the Father's justice. Amazing. Let's do it God's way, his only way, by faith receiving the biblical Jesus as Lord and Savior. No one, no one can get right or just with God by their works, their laws, by their ancestry, by their religion, by their morality, by their race. Not one of these things, none of these things satisfy God's justice. And I hope we're getting this as we've been looking at this for, what, four weeks now. I hope we're getting this. Everyone is a sinner by choice. Everyone is a sinner by practices. Everyone is a sinner by representative because everybody's human representative is Adam. Everybody is a sinner by nature. 
And unless we receive God's gracious provision found in the Lord Jesus, unless we by faith say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner by nature, by my practices, by my choices, by my thinking, by my words. I, I realize that I'm a sinner by the representative, by the family I belong to. I belong to the, to, to the family of Adam. And unless I receive your, God, your, your full provision found in your son, Jesus Christ, unless I by faith receive this Jesus who satisfied your justice by faith, um, that I am not right or just with you. And so thank you, Lord, for these clear words. And I pray that if there's somebody here today that's, that looks back and says, well, when did you become a Christian? Well, I was baptized when I was eight days old or whatever. Or I went through confirmation class. Or I was raised in a Christian family. Or we had a Bible in our house. Or I go to this Christian school. Or I, we have a, uh, you know, we we have we have, have a lot of advantages. We really understand what your word teaches, and uh, but we've done nothing with it. But still, we understand that. So I was raised in in Christian ways. I pray that if we've been using that as an excuse or a way that we think we're getting right with you, I hope we realize today that nobody, nobody is right with you because of their works or their race. And so, Lord, uh, for those of us who have come to Jesus by faith, I pray that we would really learn these, be learning these, these messages well, what your truth teaches in these first two and a half chapters of Romans. I pray that we'll get it. And we'll first of all make it personal in our own lives, receiving Jesus as Lord. But then we will, we will take the, maybe the, a person you have laid on our hearts who maybe think they're right with you, but they aren't according to these verses. And that we would pray for that individual and we would look for and take advantage of the opportunities you give us to share your great news of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name, Jesus, we, um, we pray these things and are dismissed. Amen.